I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr. Claire, a GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. And we are delighted today to have Danny Biddington on the show. We've been trying to get hold of Danny for a while and we finally got her. We're going to talk to her um, in a minute. Danny uh, is a breast cancer survivor and a wellness warrior. She was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 33 and at the time had three kids under four. Um, she underwent a double mastectomy and a, a quite aggressive rounds of radiotherapy and chemotherapy to beat the disease. And she's now on a mission to carve out a healthier lifestyle for herself and for others. She is the founder of Healthy Whole Me and she brings her heart and soul into the world of menopausal health helping women around the world understand and enjoy this positive step in their lives. Welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, ladies. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Early on a Saturday morning as well, so double thank you. Yay! Um, here we are. Here we are. Um, I was so interested to hear about you and listen to you talk on many platforms. And I, I really just wanted to start off with finding out a bit more about your journey and how all of this came about and talking talking us through everything really if that's possible in this short space of time of course so i think my beginning with or the start of my menopause really marked the end of my journey with cancer or so i thought mm -hmm. um, that came several years later whilst i was going through my active treatment for cancer i found out that i was a BRCA1 carrier it's a genetic mutation um some of your listeners might be aware angelina jolie spoke very openly about it years ago um in the media and it actually really helped me make some decisions and helped me speak to my family about it because talking about the prospect of a double mastectomy to reduce your chances of more cancers was really difficult to discuss. So by someone so famous talking about it, it really helped me. And that really ignited as little sparking me thinking, well, if I can then talk about my journey, who knows who it might benefit and help. So I've been quite open about sharing my journey. For me, that meant to have a double mastectomy to reduce my risks of further cancers. And it also meant to have my ovaries out just before I turned 40, which then started my menopause journey. And so I was thrown into a surgical menopause, surgically onset menopause, which many people describe as falling off a cliff. Your hormones, and you know that, Claire, from talking to all of your patients, right? Your hormones just really go really quickly. Yeah. I was really lucky then, though, because by that point, I almost described myself as a well-being warrior. I was my own champion to my own. I became, I was really active already in taking charge of my everyday well-being, my healthcare. I put together a team of doctors and, you know, physicians and that, that could help me manage that step. Because in the early days after I was diagnosed with cancer, I was just taken on a ride. It felt like someone put me on a roller coaster and I was stood still, frozen in panic. And I was just sort of moved along from appointment to appointment, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgeries. And once I sort of took a foot off it and I was able to take a little bit of control back into what I could do, initially that was very drastic for me. I've really changed my diet. As a doctor, you would say, that was mad. You've done, you know, <laughs> I've I cut out loads of major food groups. I went vegan from one day to the next. I went 
teetotal, I stopped eating all refined sugars. I thought gluten was my enemy. I wiped out all my bathroom cupboards thinking there's so much toxins in here. I made my own soaps. It was mad and probably put my body under too much shock. And luckily I went on a nutrition and practice course at Leeds Cookery School. I took up yoga, meditation. I trained in meditation and that was fantastic. And so over months and years, I became more balanced. And it is this balanced view that really, really sort of set me up to where I'm at today. But whether it was drastic, what I did, or whether it became more balanced, it gave me a bit of control and that gave me hope. And, and the hope was that I too am responsible and I too can do something to help myself. And that is really what I want to share with whoever is listening from whatever background they have. You have certain aspects you can control and, and it is those that we want to find. We can, there's always something we can do. And that's what I would love for your listeners to take away from today's conversation. That analogy of the roller coaster just really just really sits well in the mind. You can just imagine those ups and downs. And actually, as you said, the empowering of women to say, actually, if this is your diagnosis, there are certain things you control and can help yourself and support yourself with. Yeah, and it's also, if you don't have a cancer diagnosis like that, you might find yourself in financial difficulties. You might have relationship problems. You might have issues with your children or your elderly parents. There is no one thing that makes your situation much worse. And there's no point in comparing yourself with anyone else because there'll always be someone who's better off <laughs> and someone that is worse off than you, right? So whatever you're dealing with today, listening to this conversation, what is it that you want to or need or have the feeling that you need to address? You know, often women in perimenopause struggle for such a long time because they don't know what's happening to them. And that can be equally as unsettling and you not knowing what to do next. And so it's becoming active in whatever is accessible to you today. And perhaps by even listening to a conversation like ours, that can help someone think, okay, actually it is, I need to move a bit more. Yeah. Or I have been eating rubbish over Christmas. <laughs> what can I do to change that a little bit? And it's small steps to bigger goals, really. Right, my drastic changes, I could sustain them because I was driven by fear and panic. There was no ounce in me that wasn't fully anxious every single waking day, half the night for many, many, many months. And my, it was like parallel universes. I could take the kids to school. My twins were really lively little twin girls. They were scooting on scooters. I had one going off to the right, one going off to the left. My four-year-old ahead of me, I didn't know where to turn. I was so busy. And yet in the back of my head, I had the Macmillan nurses tending to my deathbed and I could not shake the feeling that this could be the end of me and I wouldn't see my kids start school. So I know people often say, just keep yourself busy. That didn't work for me. I was busy and my anxiety really, really stopped me. I was a busy mum, don't get me wrong. I wasn't depressed, but my anxiety stopped me from enjoying those years. And probably a lot of those years, months were wasted. And that's upsetting looking back because I've survived these years. Mm. I've been this young mum. I was the young mum who turned up to you know, the infant school. And I saw my kids graduate from there and move on to the junior school. And yet I was sort of half present, I think. Um, and I know the menopause can do that. You know, anxiety is one of our most common symptoms in perimenopause and menopause. And we often say, don't we, Caroline, that you're right, is it that we are, um, you know, those psychological symptoms of the menopause are the ones that often go so unnoticed um, it was only yesterday I spoke to a woman who said she was 55. She said, for the last 
I've given up my job. I can't work. I'm, I was a um, expert mental health nurse, but I lost my confidence. I was so anxious. I was so anxious. I was missing something. I just couldn't work. And I said, so let's talk through that. And we spoke about psychological symptoms. And I said, do you have any vaginal dryness? And she goes, no. And I said, what about libido? And she said, that's fine. She goes, I don't have any night sweats. And my periods were always fine. So it, it couldn't have been it couldn't have been the menopause and this this misinformation that surrounds us about about all of this and including anxiety is is so hard to break down isn't it and it is really difficult for healthcare professionals like yourself you know you work in the menopause specialist clinic you're a gp and for us as patients it is really difficult to figure out what's what because we have just been living through a pandemic it's normal our anxiety levels are perhaps different to what they were before when life was really busy in different ways and when you have stuff going on in your houses and homes it is normal for us to have those feelings of low mood anxiety whatever they be and it's really difficult to figure out what's going on and um I think I agree with you the more we understand that this is very normal as a very common menopausal symptom is we need to teach our ladies in their 20s and 30s if you're listening and you've got nieces and <laughs> nephews you know men are as affected really they need to understand what's going on yeah. um any younger generation it's important to know that this is something to look out for and perhaps just voice the question. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't think the answers, we have them immediately. We might need several conversations to find the answers, mm -hmm. but to even voice it to your medical professional and say, could this be it? Mm -hmm. I'm in my 40s. My anxiety is through the roof. I know I've got no other symptoms, but could this be it? And yeah. chat it through with someone could often be the first step exactly. to leading somewhere else. And that's, that's just it, isn't it? Because many women are, I mean, you know, the HRT is great for menopausal symptoms, but for some women, it's not a choice they want to make. It's not, it's not something they choose to take. And so I've spoken to a number of women who feel that, you know, because they're not going to get HRT or take HRT, that's it. There's no other option. And that's, that's what I find really sad is because there are lots of options out there, you know, just because one might not suit you or you have, you have made that decision not to try doesn't mean that there aren't any left. And I, and I think that's a really important message, isn't it, to get across that just because you don't want to take HRT or can't, or maybe there's a reason why you're worried about it, have that discussion, think about other things. You know, one thing that I think always lets us down or has let me down in the past personally, uh, Caroline, you know that from a yoga teacher, we always work on our growth mindset, don't we? We, yeah. we develop, we do further trainings, we sort of try and look into different directions and we shine our headlights into new areas that help us perhaps look at things from a different perspective. I'd say if someone is listening to this now and thinking HRT isn't for me or HRT is the only way, I can't believe uh, Claire thinks there are other options out there. You know, you don't know what people think. Yeah. We need to keep our options open and we need to work on that mindset. Because if I think today HRT is not an option for me because of X, Y, and Z, that might change. Because how we manage and how we walk through the menopause changes. Mm. Symptoms change. You might have, you know, very many symptoms later on, five, ten years after you've been going through that day of menopause. You might have vaginal symptoms, bladder symptoms, urinary tract infections. They need addressing then. So because you've said no to HRT eight years ago... <laughs> It would feel like a real disservice to yourself to stick to that path. So I feel the more we can say, okay, this is not an option for me now, or I'm choosing 
this is the best for me now, it's really important to keep your options open so that you can really serve yourself over years and months to come. Yeah. For a long time, I thought HRT was never going to be an option for me. I just thought breast cancer, HRT, no, no. But because I was so empowered about, okay, I'm going to put my healthcare team together. I found a consultant who removed my ovaries at University College London. I don't live in a London borough. I live outside but I know I could get referred to there on the NHS. All my care is based on the NHS. And I chose them because they've got a menopause clinic at that hospital. And I was refusing to have my operation before I had a conversation with the menopause clinic because I know they would talk to my oncologist and my surgeon. And together, they will help me understand what my options are. And believe it or not, I'm a breast cancer survivor today because of the type of cancer I've had, because I've had a double mastectomy, I'm now on HRT. Still a choice I make. It still comes with risks. There are my risks and there are my benefits, but it's what I'm choosing is right for me today. Mm. Not every morning do I wake up thinking, yes, this is <laughs> the 100% best decision, Danny, you've ever made. No, because it comes with risks. And there are days where my confidence is a bit lower and I think, oh my gosh, are you making the right decision? And I might change my mind and who knows, we might be talking in years and I might not be on HRT. But today, this is what I've chosen to do with an open mindset. And I need to add that with an open mindset because who knows? So you obviously did a lot of research beforehand because I'm quite intrigued there by that knowledge and that understanding saying, actually, I'm going to go to University College Hospital, UCH in London, because actually there's a menopause clinic there. And for many women, whether it's whatever the cancer is they are diagnosed with, they won't always kind of put two and two together because some cancer treatments can obviously bring on menopause as well. Can I ask a little bit about that decision? Did you do a lot of research? And, and how did you bring the menopause team to speak to your, your consultant who was doing the surgery as well? Yeah. And so by the time, gosh, sometimes you're just lucky, aren't you? I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners, if this feels really silly. <laughs> but, but by the time I had to make the decision when the right time was for me to remove my ovaries, because again, there are statistics. I don't know which part I would fall in. Would I ever get ovarian cancer or would I be on the other side? It's a very personal decision. I don't think there is a right or a wrong. I know many women in my exact situation who have not chosen to remove the ovaries and we want to be really delicate when we talk about that. I've had children by then. I was lucky that the need to maybe recreate wasn't there for me anymore. So letting go of my ovaries just before I turned 40 was an easier decision to make for me than for many other women, maybe. But I'd already run lots of workshops within well-being and health, from positive family, positive parenting, positive eating, intuitive eating, uh, menopause, natural menopause solutions. And then the turning point was in um, a workshop, a real, you know, real people still before COVID. It was wonderful with the amazing Diane Danzenbrink. Wonderful. Diane Danzenbrink is the founder of the Make Menopause Matter campaign. And she has really created change at a deeper level. Because of Diane, the menopause is now taught in the curriculum for children at school. She's worked very closely with MP Carolyn Harris. Now HRT prescriptions are free for women in the UK, but it's because of women like um, Diane Danzenbrink. And she's working really hard to make sure all GPs have adequate menopause training. When she came and ran a workshop for me and my clients, I sort of had, 
it, it really changed a lot for me. A, I was in awe of all the, all the things she was doing. She's a powerhouse of a woman. And B, I noticed how little I knew. And that really sort of sparked joy for me, thinking, right, okay, there's stuff you don't know, Danny, go and find out. And, and that together with many other workshops really taught me that the medical system, whether I pay for it for me or not, and I'm sorry to say that, Claire, that they work for me. I speak to so many women. I run menopause programs as well. A lot of the work I do is teach women that if they need their GP to be a difficult woman and phone every day, just because you think you can't get hold of an appointment, they work for you. If you would pay for a private GP, you'd expect them to answer the phone, <laughs> you know? And so to be a bit more difficult and not think we're a burden and not think that our symptoms aren't worse enough to go and get help mm-hmm. and to really go and phone and, and really do your research and to understand that you can be referred outside your bar sometimes. And, I, and, and the menopause clinic told me we are not going to make a decision without speaking to your oncologist and surgeon. And that made me feel very safe. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have liked to go on HRT without them having that conversation. Speaking to Danny Bennington, and just before the break, we were talking about how Danny had put her healthcare together and, and spoken to doctors and menopause specialists to work out her way forward post operations, actually. And I'm wondering about the decision you'd made to go on to HRT, has that been much more recent or was it quite quickly made after you had your ovaries removed and, and how much information you were given around met surgical menopause? So within waking up after my surgery, I tried to get round um, to it. I do surgeries on my own usually. I like taking the train up first thing five o'clock in the morning on my own. I can't really have family members there. It makes me too nervous. So it's waking up on my own and I put my first patch of estrogen on before I put my feet out of my bed. That's how much I believe this was the right decision for me. Now, the menopause specialist at the hospital, I thought was brilliant. And one advice I got was to say, look, this is your medication. We will insert the marina coil um, at the operation. The estrogen is for you to manage. You will be on combined on a combined HRT regime, the marina coil for your progesterone and the estrogen in the form of patches. But I was also, we were chatting through it and he said, look, on your ward, there might be lots of doctors who don't know much about the menopause. They might sometimes be senior members of the team. So you don't have to discuss with them that you're going on HRT because they might think woman, cancer, HRT, no, no, mm-hmm. and save yourself that. So actually, I wasn't discussing it with anyone on the ward. I was just going and doing that myself. And I think it shows how little information there is amongst us as patients, but also amongst medical professionals. And I don't want to raise this to point a finger at anyone. I want to raise this so that sometimes women understand they're not always helped because the information isn't there. Only 41% of medical schools in the UK teach menopause on their curriculum. Now you'd say, okay, there's still 50 something percent who teach it, but it's a maximum of 10 hours. And so unless you meet a doctor who has further interest, and that's not always women, there's some brilliant men out there (laughs) who have further interest in the menopause. I feel, and I'm going to say it, but I feel like many women are much better experts and understanding more about their choices the guidelines, the fact that HRT is the first lane treatment when you talk 
about menopause care than many healthcare professionals. And I think me waking up from surgery, just that hit home then. Absolutely. And I think that is is really important. And I find it really sad that, I mean, I was never taught about the menopause at medical school. Um, it's only because I got a bit of a passion for post-reproductive health that I, that I landed where I am. But I'm finding more and more women... Th- becoming their own expert patient, if you like. And I, I use that term because it's you, we know our bodies best. We know our symptoms best. We know what works, what doesn't. We know what influences our symptoms and what makes them better and worse. Um, and I think it is really sad. And I think there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes. For me, I'm like, I, I need change to happen immediately. You know, I don't, I don't like waiting for anything. So it's not fast enough for me. I'm a bit impatient. But I think, I think it's really interesting you, you talk about kind of knowing your own symptoms and and you know you you went prepared you had your team do you have any advice for women that might be in a similar situation that are just finding everything a little bit bewildering and not quite sure where to turn is this is there a is there anything that you would say to to that woman or or, or offer advice about where they could get some support or help i will get to that i'll answer that question if my brain allows me to divert get get me back to it but what i would say when you talk about being impatient i don't think it's happening slowly you think we are this one generation where lots of change is happening and if you take yourself out of our ego mind right so as a you know as a carol and as a yogi this will resonate to you take yourself out of this ego mind think of all the many many generations of women that trodden their steps on our planet before us generation that's your mother your grandmother your great-grandmother but all the women before and think about all the other women that are yet to come the change is really happening now and it's fundamental and it's huge and it gives me goosebumps mm. not quick enough for us now and maybe not quick enough for all the patients you see Claire because mm. I'm sure by the time they come to you they're at their wits end and they're near to breaking point and I, I accept that but our mums and grandmothers There wasn't even a word for perimenopause until the 70s, was it, or something like that? We didn't know, you know, and 100 years ago, women died at the age of 51 or 57. I think life expectancy was the age of 57 100 years ago. So I think a lot of it is changing because in 100 years, we've started to live so much longer. Of course, it takes a while to address how we live this much longer and that we need more help in, in, in bettering our quality of life in living that much longer because all of you lovely doctors have given us the ability to live longer with all the medication and other other things to help and now it's also addressing the quality of life same goes for cancer care oncologists done so much in helping us survive so our survival rates are better more and more women are surviving breast cancer and it's now addressing how do we survive it because often menopause plays a big role in it. But for all those ladies, and I haven't forgotten, you see my, my brain is intact this Saturday morning. I haven't forgotten. For all these women not knowing where to turn to, it's important to say that a menopause clinic, the way I've had access to, is not going to be an option. And I just need to put that out there because there are not that many in the country. And unless you've got serious underlying health conditions or a history with cancer, you're probably not going to get access. And that's that. So <laughs> for anyone with cancer, I would say try and get referred. That's especially where they're there for. Many women who have other things going on at the same time, and doctors might not know, your GP might not know if HRT is an option with other medication, with other health conditions, they're a great option and that's what they're there for. And otherwise, I would say become your own expert in how you can look up Balance App is a wonderful free tool, for example, by Dr. Liz Newson, 
I'm sure everyone you've got on here mentions it. You probably <laughs> mention it. It's a free app. Um, you can log your symptoms. It gives you a report. There's a community. Community spirit is so important. And have the first conversation with your GP and pretend it's an interview. You are interviewing this healthcare expert and you are trying to establish if this GP is going to become part of your team or not. And that might help you change your mindset. Instead of thinking, I am flawed, I'm riddled with symptoms, I've no idea what to do, I'm going to blurt it all out. Of course, a GP won't be able to help you within the 10 minutes they've got. We've got to give our GPs a bit more credit. If anyone comes and their main symptom is, I've got friends who are GPs and they always say, if anyone comes and you know, their main symptoms is anxiety and low mood, how can I establish within 10 minutes that this is to do with the menopause? It's impossible. I might need to have a second or third chat. So don't be disheartened if this takes a little bit longer. Many of the clients I work with say, I've been to my GP, it's a write-off, it's impossible, I need to go private or, or, or something like that. And I think, but when you break it down, it is possible. We've just got to be realistic. I didn't put my team together. I didn't think the choices I made happened overnight. We're talking years. This is was a five-year process to get to that stage of removing my ovaries. And I'm not saying it should take five years and it mustn't take five years to address the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause, but it'll be months. And that's being realistic because it might be months for some, for you yourself to figure out what's going on with you, to then communicate that perhaps with your friends when you run or walk with them, to saying something about your, to your partner and to then addressing it with your healthcare professional. And then picking up the journey from there. I think it's being realistic within the system that we work in. It's a process, isn't it? And we often say, you know, it's not a, it, there isn't a specific thing that's going to help all women. All women, as per the NICE guidelines, need, need to be treated as an individual. And as you said, I love that idea of almost interviewing your GP, Danny. I think that's brilliant. I'd, um, I'd looked on, a, on my, our GP website with surgery here. I think it's eight GPs. And I go, right, who's got who's got the expertise here? Who's got women's health up there or post-reproductive health? Um, and I know quite a lot of the GPs there having had children in the same area. And I picked out one. I was like, brilliant. I'm now going to write her a letter and go, right, these are the symptoms I've had for the last two years, but they've got to the point where I need a bit of help. Um, and this is why I think it's this. And we had a 10 minute appointment and actually I didn't need another appointment because I, I've done all that, you know, I had personally done all the research, but for a lot of women that are just not sure, it's going to take two or three appointments and, and, and an understanding. And you mentioned the balance app. We talk about that a lot. It's a really simple, free way on a phone to track your symptoms and to get a better picture. And then you'll have a better picture for your GP to show them, go, look, I think it is perimenopause or menopause and tracking them for three to six months and just getting a, getting a full a full picture. I love that, Caroline, that you went, did your research and wrote a letter. What the majority of the ladies I speak to, if I'd say that to them, they'd cringe and go, oh my gosh, she's difficult. Or, oh my gosh, I couldn't do that. Imagine, you know, what would the GP think if I would send them a letter before my appointment? They think it's too difficult. They think this is not what we do. Because in a society, we're very much taught that you go to your GP, you say what you've got, and you walk away with a prescription. So it's not so much a together process. It's very much a, okay, I do what you say, which perhaps also brought us into this time where we suffer from so many chronic diseases and we don't think we can do anything about it. Whereas lifestyle, exercise, diet <laughs> are key to reducing 
eliminating a lot of them. And so I think it comes back to that good girl complex, right? You yeah. thought, I'm going to just write that letter. If they think I'm a bit difficult, doesn't matter. I'm, you know, you run this show here. You've got your sister. You, you, you know about tools like the balance app. You felt empowered by writing that letter. Okay, from a GP perspective as well, I like that letter. <laughs> Would you? Would you? You wouldn't think, gosh. So, so maybe it's because I'm talking with my menopause hat on. I send out the climacteric scores to all these women when they call me up and say, I think I've got menopause symptoms. And I'm like, like Let, we'll talk about it. Have the climacteric score. Get it back to me. We'll talk about it. But I like that letter. It prepares you. It, it focuses your mind. And like you say, Danny, if someone comes in with low mood and anxiety, well, for many GPs, unfortunately given the situation that we're in, certainly in the last two years, they're going to put that down to low mood and anxiety. They're not going to attribute that to very much else. And that's that's not, again, pointing the finger at anybody. It's just the way, it's just the way it is. So that letter, for me personally, I would happily receive because your work's done. Again, it comes back to the expert patient. You know your symptoms, you know your body, you know what you're going through. You have tried this, you know, A, A, B and C and it's not worked. So I think it's really important that women feel empowered. And the worst thing I think I hear time and time again is, I really didn't want to bother you. Sorry to bother you. You're not bothering me. I'm your doctor. You're, you're coming with a problem. That is why you're here. And I would really, I really want to get that out of women's mind, everybody's mindset, but particularly women. Women are often the people that say, really didn't want to bother you, but, and I've left this a while because I didn't think it's important. And it's about removing that, that sort of, again, I guess that gremlin on your shoulder that you're, you're not worthy or that you're, you're taking up someone's time, but you're not, you're really not. And, and so often I hear it's not been bad enough. It's not yet bad enough. I wait a little bit longer because I'm not bad enough. Well, I think our pain threshold is really high anyway. So not bad enough is too bad, probably, and you should have been going six months ago. But that good girl complex is, again, you know, we live in this society. We want to be good daughters, good mothers, good wives. Um, we want to have our careers. We want to be good at all these things and not be a bother and not moan. And especially in the cancer community, when we find ourselves in menopause, we really don't want to moan because we should be ever so grateful to be alive. And so it's harder sometimes to coax out of women quite how bad they're suffering and so it's really refreshing to hear from you and I hope that gives your listeners the confidence to write letters like that because I think the majority of women would have listened to Caroline thinking oh she's difficult there's actually a brilliant book called difficult women and it talks about feminism this is part of our book club isn't it ladies yeah. <laughs> um, I've, got it on audiobook. I've got it on audiobook and it's called difficult women it talks about the history of feminism and and stuff like that and I want to become a diff more difficult woman. It is part of my 2022 sort of intention. I've got it written down on a little post-it note. And I want to become more difficult because the nice Danny's been there. I've done it. And, and perhaps this is a little bit of what menopause also gives me. When you first introduced me, Claire, you said to look forward to an empowered, a positive menopause. And I think a lot of listeners would have thought, oh, sort that. <laughs> All these symptoms. What is she talking about? I feel worse than I've ever felt. Um, I would quite like to punch her in the face for saying <laughs> that. Thank you very much. But if we move away from menopause just being your symptoms, there are a lot of positives. No periods like I can't tell you how lovely it is for me to not have periods anymore. You might not have to use, so use contraception. Yeah. 
there is also liberation and knowing that your symptoms are temporary. They do not last forever. That doesn't mean you have to struggle through at all, but also you're fluctuating. This is fluctuating and it'll change and it can get better. And if you look at how, who do I want to become when I get through this? This is really important to me. So once you've found out how you navigate your symptoms, there are bigger things waiting for you. I can now decide who I follow on Instagram because there are some women out there talking about pro-aging in such a great way. We have the Silver Sisters, women going gray-haired. I love all, all of that. We have, I always thought anti-aging creams were normal. They're blooming not. <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> this is just absolute rubbish. You know, this is, it's pro-aging. And I want to look at women who embrace their lines and laughter lanes and crow's feet and, and not advocate for Botox or, you know, creams that anti-aging, all of that. But I had to wake up to it. Yeah. I had to wake up to the fact that our bodies change. It's normal for us to be a little bit heavier, a bit soft around the belly, a bit soft around the bottom. All of those things I'm learning now. I'm in my 40s. Yeah. I wish, and I'm really working very hard for my three daughters. The twins are 11 and Rosa is 13 for this to become normal. A few years, one of the twins, she must have been 10, said to me, mommy, you are not in menopause. And I was like, oh, for goodness sake, I've been banging on about this for like the last five years. And she's now pondering whether I'm in menopause. And I said, yes, Leila, but why are you asking? And she said, but you're meant to be really sad when you are. And so I have no idea what she picked up, probably from one of my many conversations <laughs> with all these women. You know, we talk about dry vaginas and losing hair anywhere I am. <laughs> Um, I just thought, okay, okay, there's still a mindset and it is looking for those other things. Like we don't need to become a difficult woman and be bold and extravagant. I don't mean it in that way, but we have a choice. We are changing. Our bodies are changing and we have a choice of where we shine late to for that next chapter. What interests you? What gets you out of bed? Who are the relationships that really serve you? Because often we get to our forties and fifties and we do things because we've always done them. Well, guess what? It's not going to serve you for the next 10 years. I can guarantee you that. And that's the way you eat. It's got to be addressed. It's how we move. It's got to be addressed. And it's who you see and who you spend time with. Who are your role models? It's got to change, I think. <laughs> you were just saying, you know, there, there's, there's light at the other end, as it were, but also we can take a path. Coming back to our yoga <laughs> yoga philosophy, that we ha we're, we're walking this path and actually there are many different little paths we can go off to, but we can choose the path of positivity and the path of knowledge, can't we? Um, and you mentioned how diet, moving, obviously I know you're a yoga teacher as well, helped you. Was, was there anything, anything else specifically you'd like to talk about or mention or recommend around what else helps you alongside HRT? Yeah, and you know what? I don't think it is a this or that approach. I'm really passionate about that. When I work with, with clients and, and they often say, but I've been on HRT, but I'm still feeling X, Y, and Z. I'm always like, well, I'm not surprised because you one thing alone is never going to get rid of all your symptoms. And I guess that resonates with lots of people out there because sometimes HRT needs tweaking or you're you know, your dose needs changing. However, by taking something, you're not going to, this is not active. This is your passive treat. Taking medication is your, it's a bit more passive, I believe. And then there are many things where you become active and those actually are more exciting. 
they can really feel us that we have control, we take part of it, we are this, this is us, this is me, this is what I can do. And I would say there are other medical treatments should you need them apart from HRT. And, and they, so if you've just got bladder symptoms, you know, that's great medication. Claire, you do that all the time, probably working on helping women stopping going to the toilet all the time. So there are other medical treatments that you can talk to your healthcare professional about. There are natural treatments. Many women go and buy something over the counter in Holland and Barrett's and then they take it for a little while and then it doesn't work and then it's poo-pooed. But I work with a brilliant lady called, she's uh, Melinda McDougall. She's a natural herbalist and she's done her PhD or MA, I think. In She studied menopause and, nat- uh, and herbal medication. That was her degree and I think PhD. And she's turned over every research paper there is. And herbs are extremely potent so potent so that if you take some to good strength, they interfere with other medication. So you need to be aware because this is medication derived from herbs, sage, even primrose oil. There is bee pollen, fermal. It's got good reputation at the moment. If you can see a herbal medicalist, it can be amazing for you, especially if they're really busy now with long COVID. Mm. You know, when we often have no answers within our sort of medical system, these ideas become really helpful to many women. So natural treatments, I think if you have the right consistency, you take the right strength and you buy a good product can be really helpful. Complementary therapies on women like me, post-cancer, many studies have been done. Acupuncture, cognitive behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, yoga, mindfulness. We have studies. These are evidence. So we talk about HRT as evidence, right? Evidence solutions. So is acupuncture. So is CBT. So is yoga and mindfulness. Okay. We haven't got the millions of people in these studies because the pharmaceutical (laughs) companies aren't interested as well, but we have great evidence that they can be really helpful. Avoiding triggers is a huge one for me. I became teetotal I need to be off alcohol. I cannot handle that one glass of red wine anymore. Two glasses of red wine will give me such a bad hangover. I will be throwing up the next day. It's a trigger for me. And it's a trigger for many women. It is the same as having hot drinks, even in the afternoon, evening can trigger you to have a hot flush at night. It's because of how your rhythm of your body of cooling down and warming up again cycles through the day and night. So we think, oh, I've got a hot flush at night. Can't have anything to do with me drinking three cups of herbal tea in the evening. Well, it can. And if this is a trigger of yours, it could really improve the severity of your hot flushes at night. But lifestyle is huge. And I I think it's not talked enough about because it's so hard to implement, isn't it? 150 minutes of strenuous exercise, including some weight training, can reduce our chances of our cancer come back. That's what I always focused on by by almost 50%. And so if anything I can do is move my ass and get get into gear, right? Move. I don't know what you can do, but if we can, so if you walk anyway, you could walk a little bit more briskly. That's good enough. It's not about changing everything you do. It's about little lifestyle hacks, it's not about you not eating all that chocolate, but could you have one pear, one apple, a nice pineapple, one courgette more a week? Mm. And soon we will shine our light on what is so easily possible for all of us yeah. away from, I can't do that. I can't go sugar-free because I can't. Mm. I don't know who can. 
it's as addictive as heroin probably, isn't it? But we can add two or three more veg a week and soon that balance will shift. But lifestyle, anything you can do to reduce your stress levels. You know, for me, it has always been yoga. It's really helped me with my anxiety because in that hour that I practiced, I was not able to focus and feed my anxiety demons. And that showed me if it's possible on the mat, it's possible. And for years, it wasn't possible off the mat. So I just did a little bit more yoga and I trained to become a yoga teacher because that was all I could do. Over time, I could take it off the mat too. And I had more balance. I still get anxious, but I also know what to do about it now sometimes. Mm. <laughs> it's taking that pause, isn't it? We talk about the breath. We did a, a, an episode on the breath and, and an episode with me talking through some breathing techniques and actually just you know stopping in that pausing moment and taking a breath can be really helpful. And for me, probably like you, Danny, you know, often I think yoga is thought of as an exercise or movement-based practice, but actually there's the philosophy and the breath work is integral. It's the, you know, the basis of yoga is breathing and, and taking a, a deep inhalation or slow breath can ease anxiety really, really well. I think it's this combined approach, isn't it? The medical treatments, the natural treatments, your complementary therapies, your triggers, your lifestyle, exercise, diet, all the way to maybe changing your mindset and thinking it is really bad now, but I've just listened to those ladies today and all three of them said it's not going to be so bad forever or it doesn't have to be so bad forever. Even that glimpse of understanding and that combined approach can make us feel really active. Like I'm chipping away here, I'm doing this, I'm educated, I take HRT, I've started walking more, my joints ache less. So it's that combined approach that can be really helpful. Because if I fall off the wagon, for example, with my diet over Christmas, I just, my fat, I'm Austrian. So if anyone thinks where she's from, I was born and raised in Austria, I came here to England when I was in my early 20s. I've gone back home and we have the most amazing Austrian cookies and cakes and oh my gosh, the food is so lovely. And I don't want to deprive myself of anything. You know, my granny still bakes biscuits. How can I not eat all of them when she serves them to me? So of course I feel like I've fallen off the wagon, but I was consistent with my herbs that I was taking. I was consistent with my HRT. I was consistent with moving. I was out loads. I was doing my yoga. And so it didn't matter that my diet wasn't brilliant. I can pick that up at another time because I had other things in the background working for me. And that's the great thing about having a multifaceted approach. Mm. You never worry so much if one thing doesn't go to plan because you've got something to fall back on. And it's also not giving yourself a hard time. So giving yourself that little bit of a break and go, well, actually, yes, it's Christmas New Year. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to spend time perhaps with family or not, or whatever it might be, an event coming up or a birthday and going, actually, I'm going to have some fun around that. I'm not going to restrict my diet or I'm just going to take a break from that and going, that's OK, that's fine. I'm, you know, it's it's trying not to set everything in stone and having those slightly moving goalposts, isn't it? As, as symptoms change, but also as our, our lives change as well. Um, a wonderful lady who's written the kindness method, a book, uh, Shirui Sadi, often says, well, what would you say to your friend now? If your friend had gone to Austria and she'd eaten all those lovely cookies from her granny and she'd, she'd say to you over a coffee, oh, gosh, I've just been eating so much rubbish. You'd say, actually, A, you're really lucky that you managed to go. B, it's amazing your granny bakes biscuits for you. You know, th these are all amazing things. And how wonderful that we can live a life like that. And now it's time to move on and your next meal can be different. 
And you would be so compassionate towards your friend. You'd say she looks beautiful with all the extra weight she'd gained. And you would reassure her she can do hard things because we can all do hard things. And we often have a very different conversation, don't we, when we talk to ourselves. Well, I know I do. The chat in my head is very different to sometimes (laughs) I try and teach on the mat. Absolutely. It's like it's it's treating yourself as your best friend, isn't it, all the time and just remembering that element of kindness. Before we finish off, I just wanted to mention your work with Trekstock just briefly because that's a cancer support charity working with with younger women sort of in their 20s and 30s. And you do some work with them, Danny, don't you as well? Yeah, I was a member of Trekstock in my 30s. Um, As a young mummy going through cancer, I really seek that community of support. And then I taught some classes for them. We always stayed in touch. So, And then when you grow too old, I was hitting 40. I knew how lucky I was to hit that mark and perhaps not be one of their members anymore in that way and become more of a supporting role. And by the time I had been running my own menopause programs for a good year with num- you know, numerous women going through them, I was, Jemima and I, um, who is health at Trekstar, we were talking and I was talking about the benefit of creating community and almost coaching women through helping them with their limiting beliefs and really teaching them about all their options. We, we established how big the need was within the cancer community, especially for younger women, you know, women who have not had any, any sexual relationships for years sometimes after their cancer treatment because of menopause and no one to talk to, not knowing what the system can provide for them. So Trekstock and I curated this program It's over six weeks where we bring in some amazing specialists. Um, We talk from sexual health to mental health to all of their medical options and helping them navigate the medical system. And we've just had funding to run two more uh, programs this year. They're free. They're for women in their 20s and 30s. If anyone knows anyone affected, it's after any cancer. Um, Women come with any sort of cancer and we just help them find different pathways of navigating through and community, um, they chat to one another. And it suddenly, you know, we've had statistics from ladies joining us, um, felt totally isolated and not having spoken to their menopause symptoms to any friend before they've joined the program, to suddenly being in, in a group where there is 40 other women in the same situation, that alone can make you feel a bit better. Yeah, incredibly, powerful. incredibly powerful. I think on that note, we're going to have to finish this episode. We, th- we, I think we could probably talk to Danny for another couple of hours, couldn't we, Claire? Absolutely. Lots, <laughs> lots to talk about. But thank you so much, Danny, for joining us today. Thank you, ladies. It's been fabulous. 